December 2004, my second Christmas in the mission. There are a lot of good Christmas scriptures, but Christmas wasn't the only thing that defined the month of December for me in Albacete. There were plenty of good things going on, but things had kind of come to a head with Randy. Alma 1.25 says, Now this was a great trial to those that did stand fast in the faith. Nevertheless, they were steadfast and immovable in keeping the commandments of God, and they bore with patience the persecution which was heaped upon them. Bearing persecution with patience was something I still found a little bit difficult, but I discovered some ways to, to cope with and manage that. This is Welcome to the Faro, episode 15, Second Spanish Christmas. Our Christmas Zone Conference was scheduled for, I think, the 20th that year. The previous year it had been about 10 days out, so... Uh, the Christmas season seemed to be really protracted, and I, I was all about that. I enjoyed that. And in this particular year, my mom had sent me a Mannheim Steamroller CD, so I had something beyond just uh, a couple of folk CDs and Motab discs to play around the apartment. So that helped to set the mood and everything. Um, the other thing was, uh, you know, I had some movie soundtracks, some instrumental stuff to listen to. Troy was a really good one. Um, was it James Horner who did that one? And then The Last Samurai by Hans Zimmer, who is the greatest score composer of our time. And it's not like he doesn't have stiff competition either. But what I was working on in the mornings, I'd get up at around, you know, five to, five to six or so. And I had this big sheet of paper that I, I left sprawled out on, on our hardwood floor, and uh, I would slide it under the couch along with some pencils and erasers and other stuff that I had. Slide it under the couch, I'd get up in the, early in the morning, and I'd go, you know, put my CD on, and then, you know, pull that drawing out, and I'd sit on the floor, and I'd work on this drawing that I was doing for President and Hermana Watson. Um, I had some pictures of temples, San Diego, Redlands, California, um, I want to say that I did Salt Lake, but definitely in the Madrid temple as well. I drew, you know, five or six of these temples, and then in between, I put pieces of Spanish architecture, like pictures from the steps of the castle in Loarre and the aqueduct in Tarragona, kind of bridging them all together. And then in there, I drew the uh, the missionaries from my group, which I want to say was. 10 elders and then the two hermanas, uh, Stevenson and Wareham. Stevenson. That's <laughs> her married name, Olson. I keep forgetting that. Uh, so I was working on this drawing. I was going to give it to him for Christmas. And those were some of my favorite memories there, just you know, putting a lot of time and, and energy into a gift for the Watsons. Unfortunately, I don't have a picture of this drawing. Um, December was when I finally bought a digital camera and there's a few months worth of pictures that I thought I transferred over to a CD and sent home. And when it got home, my, my parents looked at it and said that there were no files on it. So the transfer had been botched and I had unfortunately erased the chip. So 
I'm, I'm missing a fair amount of pictures from uh, a three or four month span of my mission and it still bums me out to this day there you know you still got the memories and everything but the pictures help to uh, to keep them fixed and, and I don't have that but I do treasure that experience and it kind of dovetails into one of the dichos that president had one of the things that he taught us repeatedly and that was to find your wilderness the scriptures frequently speak of of prophets and, and other people going out into the wilderness or going up into the mountains and this is often when they commune with god and receive revelations and find clarity uh, the the modern hip new age term for this is uh, i guess mindfulness similar to meditation but those terms while useful and while even applicable deny the spiritual element of it and that spiritual element is very real that communion is very real um, you know nowadays at the very least it would involve turning off your phone and leaving it somewhere behind as you could go have you know some peace and quiet to yourself to really reflect you know don't don't be scared of your own thoughts don't be scared of the ability that you have to sort through them and to organize your life my wilderness takes a couple of different, of different shapes uh, you know president watson's wilderness for example he owns some land up in the ogden and far west area of northern utah but he owns a few acres of fields and you know he considers himself a, a country boy but from what i understand you know he would let haymakers come in on his fields and they'd grow and they'd make the hay or whatever he just wanted the land so he could walk out there and kick the dirt a little bit and and have that peace and quiet to himself and i get that for me you know my wilderness is is often somewhere quiet where i'm sitting at a drawing table most times if i'm driving if i'm doing whatever my mind is somewhere else you know unless i'm hanging out with my wife and my kids you know my my mind is is often daydreaming land that's just the method of an artist but when i'm actually drawing it's it's a different speed because my mind is on what i am doing my mind isn't thinking about something else while i'm still doing what i'm doing so that's part of my wilderness but i would say that really my wilderness is is a long highway in a car by myself preferably at night there's the, the nighttime gives you a stronger sense of of isolation you're not staring at the scenery as much it's it's uh, productive isolation but the the keys are are that to have time to yourself to to focus to pray and figure out you know how to reconcile yourself ultimately to the will of god i still look back on those cold mornings in the apartment listening to instrumental music drawing temples and architectural marvels and the faces of my friends and it's it's one of the most beautiful times of my mission and of my life there were a couple of other people that elder rothy and i were teaching at this time there was a family the Legisa calve family they were from argentina and they had three kids and a fourth on the way they had spent some time in the united states before um, they said that the economy got difficult. I was kind of given to understand that their legal status was also part of the problem, and so they went back to Argentina before they came to Spain. 
a lot of these South American countries have easier relations with uh, Madre España, and so it's it's easier to to come back to the EU. Um, I heard that Uruguay, especially if you've got a Spanish ancestor and you're from Uruguay, they'll uh, they'll make it a lot easier for you to move back. There was a family in Girona that qualified for that. But the Leguisa Calve family, they were great. They were, you know, the uh, their Mano Leguisa was a hard worker. He tried to find a couple of different jobs. He was working in a ca in a cafe and and stuff, but it just wasn't making enough. So he went over the road as a trucker, and that usually involved runs between Spain and Switzerland. And he'd be gone six days a week and and be back for the seventh. I didn't know back in the day what that was like, but I certainly know it now, and it sucks. It's really hard. Um, the family has since split up. I think uh, Hermana Calve has, has since remarried. And, uh, you know, it's it's a hard thing to hear about. But that year that uh, that they were there in Albacete, we got together and helped them out with a Christmas. We knew that things were going to be tight for them. And so, you know, we had a few dollars to spare, Elder Rothy and I, um, you know, from home that our parents had sent us for that. And then... Elder Jones and Elder Westenhofer came in from Alcoy. We had found this, uh, you go piso shopping, piso's your apartment, and, you know, people leave clothes and costumes, not costumes, you know, clothes and goodies there behind, but we did find a costume in the, uh, one of the old closets, like an old crappy Santa Claus costume that somebody had used for something. I was like, all right, cool, we got this idea. We went to the grocery store, and we bought probably 100 euros worth of groceries, you know, bread, fruit, snacks, meats, all that stuff, and, uh, loaded it up and then took it over to the Leguisa Calve family and uh, we sang En la Judea en Tierra de Dios um, what the heck is that called? En la Judea en Tierra de Dios uh, far far away on Judea's plane and uh, we, we you know, sang the parts and everything Jones has a super bass voice and uh, you know the rest of us were just kind of doing tenor or melody but just awesome to do that to uh you know to see the kids their faces light up when you know a santa claus shows up and we uh we had a great time finding ways to serve and help we we couldn't do it all the time we couldn't even do it frequently but doing it that once and on christmas was was really great i should mention that they they were members but they were uh, they were a little bit less active we tried to get we try to get them to come to church, uh, you know, as often as we could. They'd show up for a while and they'd disappear for a few weeks. I had actually originally met them with Elder Evenhouse, and then I think he had written their contact information down in one of his notebooks, and then we just hadn't been thorough enough with the area book before he left. So I ended up having to call him in, in November and say, hey, you know, do you still have the contact information for them? And because he was well organized and, and all that stuff, he had it and he sent it to me and... Rothy and I dropped by and they're like oh hey yeah we remember missionaries so yeah this is the new guy and here we are so we got them to come to church a few more times there was also Juan Jose who also was from Argentina now that I think about it and he worked in a little cafeteria around the corner from our apartment and uh, his English was really good he wasn't too much of a God-fearing man but we did teach him a, a couple of lessons and give him a book of Mormon to work on but he was mostly interested in speaking English with us and hanging out and and coming to the classes so we'd stop in and, and visit him every once in a while and he was living uh renting a room from a woman named rocio who if i recall correctly was from ecuador and uh this you know is just one of those 
saintly South American women that you know has has a good heart and works hard. She's uh, energetic, um, passionate. I guess you say you'd, you'd get her on a thread about something and she'd uh, she'd go off. She was a single mother, and her son, I want to say, was a few years older than Elder Rothy and I, uh, in his 20s, and with special needs. I don't remember his exact diagnosis, but uh, you know, it was in the tree of things where she had to keep the cabinets locked up because he would just eat all day, and, and he was already getting kind of heavy, and she had to be very careful with, with the food supply just because he, he would never stop. And, you know, she needed a lot of help with him and, and uh, you know, she was working on her legal status with the government so that she could apply for, I think, you know, equivalent Social Security or whatever it is they have over there in, in Spain. I don't know if it was a Spanish thing or an EU thing. So we taught her a couple of lessons and she was able to come to church, but she, uh, you know, her resources were scant and she had to uh, have somebody at the house with her son while she was at work or, you know, drop him off at, at an adult care center. But... Yeah, we would fit in visits with her when we could, and she was fortunate enough to have an apartment that had several rooms in it, so she could, you know, help other people out and have them, you know, pay her an affordable rent, and that that kind of lowered her costs. But she ended up getting baptized many months after I left. It might even have been after I got home, but I don't know. I think I'm mixing her up with somebody else. It was after Rothy and I had both left Albeth that day, but she did end up getting baptized and joining the church, and it was after she was able to get those things squared away with her son. But just a, a great lady. She, you know, we'd, we'd go visit her in December, and she was, uh, you know, walking through the house singing the two lines of a of a Christmas carol that she knew or something, and um, it, it was just a pleasure to be around her. And Juan Jose, like I said, he was. He was one of the guys renting a room from her. Now, throughout these last several months, I, I only talked about Randy in that one episode um, just because nothing really new had developed with him. You know, I'd, I'd explained his, his tactics, his kind of give and take, how he'd try to, you know, pretend like he was sharpening up. He just needed you to come visit and spend a couple of hours at his house so he could slouch in his on his chair and he had this just this disgusting habit of like while he was talking to you he would lift up the bottom of his shirt and like rub his hand over his stomach and I'm like that's I don't know what you're doing dude but it's gross and you need to knock it off and so you know we were we were big on paring back our, our time with him but then he started crashing the Friday fiesta appointments at Guadalupe's house and and Elder Roth he was like man I look forward to that that visit with their family probably more than any other appointment of the week and it's really annoying he's he's crashing that and just I was like yeah you know it's our only option is for us to stop going we gotta you know re respect obviously respect their household and respect the, the situation and the arrangement and that was something that Randy knew he knew exactly what he was doing and why but he was also kind of feeling out our our tactics and um, you know, just, just probing to see what he could do to make our time difficult and uncomfortable there. Um, not just at Guadalupe's house, but in Albacete in general. And one, one method that he did with this was, uh, was specifically was showing up to English classes and trying to find out who we were teaching English and the gospel. Now, the English classes were not a, a proselyting thing. We wouldn't, you know, bring people to the class and then you know, say, oh, by the way, you know, who wants to learn about Jesus? We, we advertised it specifically as this is just a service we do. We don't, we don't speak about 
religion in the English classes. And occasionally he would try to bring it up to get us talking about it so that he could then find out who we were teaching. And we'd been warned about this and we were very careful about that. Well, he eventually found out that we were teaching Juan Jose. And he he did one of these things that you can just you can tell why somebody's doing it. They're they're saying something to get attention from you. I was in the room with with them when we were packing up the English class and Randy asked Juan Jose, he goes, you know, are you are you thinking about joining this church? And Juan Jose's like, Oh, I'm I'm reading the Book of Mormon and stuff and and I, I knew that Randy was looking at Juan Jose, but he was talking to me as he was saying this. He goes, he goes, oh, because I joined this church and it was crap. It just, yeah. And, and he knew that I was watching him and I said, okay. So uh, Juan Jose went home and uh, Randy got his butt the heck out of there because he, he knew that I was going to come gunning for him. And the next week at English class, um, you know, I told Elder Rothy, I said, all right, you're going to take the intermediate class in the other room, keep the door open so that, you know, there's line of sight and all that stuff. I'm going to do the advanced class in here, but it's just going to be Randy. We knew Juan Jose wasn't going to be there that night. So Randy shows up and he sits down and he tries to pretend that everything's cool. And I sat down with him in English and I said, you know exactly what you did. I'm not an idiot. You're never coming back to this class again. And, uh, and that's that. And he would switch to Spanish and pretend that he couldn't understand me very well. But I was not like other missionaries who had been there who had an intermediate grasp of Spanish. My grasp of Spanish was quite expert, and that was not going to work on me. And I laid into him. I told him that I knew exactly what he was about, that he was a liar, and that he was here to attempt to destroy the branch, and that these people were under my protection. I, I said it in exactly those terms and that his tricks were no longer going to work here and he was he was going to get the hell out and uh, as he was leaving I told him and don't come back now obviously I couldn't exclude him from sacrament meeting I was excluding him from the English classes but predictably I got a phone call from branch president Moya uh, a day or two later and you know, Randy was going through his tactical playbook. He was calling the branch president, telling him that I had, uh, had you know, called him all kinds of names and stuff, and I calmly explained the situation. Nope, here's what happened, here's what he did, here's how I responded. And he said, okay, just as long as we're clear that, that you were only kicking him out of English classes because no podemos rechazar a nadie. We, we can't turn anybody away from, from sacrament. Like, even if he's excommunicated or something, you know, visitors are welcome. I said, no, I understand that. Um, you know, we're, we're on the same page there. It's just, he's done this before. He will do it again, but he will not do it while I'm here. And, uh, you know, we, we got things squared away on that front. And, and that was very much true. He was going to try to do it again after I left. He, he knew the missionary system. He knew that I was only going to be there for so long that I'd get transferred out. And then he would come back in. Maybe it would be a couple of months. Maybe it would be six months. He would try it on a new batch of missionaries that didn't know him. And he would start this game all over again. So, not only was I very well versed in the Spanish language, but you guys know that I'm a writer. I went back to our apartment that night and I filled out an entire page and a half in the area book and marked it, you know, for permanent retention. This is who this man is. This is what he does. This is what he has done for years. This is how he will do it to you. 
and I wrote down the bullet points of Randy's tactical playbook and I wrote my testimony in there I said obviously if you are in this area and I am not it is under your stewardship listen to the spirit do not ignore those promptings don't go off of of tradition or anything like that you know you you follow your calling to the letter and you be aware of what this man is going to try to do to you and how he's going to try to worm his way into your good graces because this is all a demonic game to him fortunately and i'm going to skip ahead a bit here in the timeline when i did get transferred out of albafete i was replaced by a missionary who was even more rigid than i was and had even less patience for that kind of crap and I think shortly after he was there, Albafete got closed in the following spring. So the wind was taken pretty quickly out of Randy's sails. In fact, later in the summer, I would serve alongside a missionary who had, who had you know, gone into Albafete after I did and say, hey, you know this guy? You know about Randy? He goes, oh, I know all about that clown. And I said, yeah, that page in the area book, I wrote that. He goes, good, we needed that. That was useful. So that was, at least for a time, the end of Randy's reign of terror in Albafete. Nativity scenes. Spain takes these very seriously. You would almost say with religious reverence. See, that's a double entendre right there. Uh, if you guys know any tabletop gamers, the guys that are really big into buying the minifigures and painting them and, and, and kit bashing, cutting pieces together to make their own figures and building the sets and airbrushing and using different materials. I mean, the, the guys that are 3D model artists that, that build these works of art that, no joke, will take up a couple of kitchen tables and then play RPG games on them. It's that same level of skill that goes into these really elaborate nativity scenes over in Spain. And uh, it's it's on my list to work on something of that caliber. Um, you, you saw these in, in businesses, in homes, everywhere. And there was a bank on a street corner in Albacete that, you know, if you follow me on Facebook, my personal account, uh, I post this pretty much every December, you know, the pictures that I took of this, of this uh, uh, this nativity in there, but you could see it was a, it was a corner building that had you know glass on both corner windows, and so you could see inside. And they'd taken the inside corner of the building and set up, geez, I want to say it was like you know eight feet of of table, you know four uh, four feet on each side, yeah, square feet, whatever the math is. I'm not going to think about that right now. But this was massive, and they had created, recreated Roman Judea, specifically Jerusalem, and they had all kinds of buildings. You had you know, the, whatever the government seat was there with, you know, Roman guards and centurions outside. And, you know, you had King Herod in there. You had, you know, buildings and huts that were for, for farmers and for merchants. Um, they had little streams of actual running water that would pool up in certain parts with, with goldfish in the ponds. Um, they had little tiny, you know, six-inch squares of, of sod that were growing real grass you know, figurines dressed in the, uh, in the period garb, automated, motorized. There was one guy who was uh, an olive farmer. They had him motorized with a big old stick in his hand, and he was whacking the olive tree. And then, of course, you know, right dead center was the, the Holy Family. 
you know, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. You had the shepherds. You had the angels. Just incredible. Um, as much as I've talked about religion being more of a matter of, of tradition than of solemn practice in Spain, um, I, I love that they kept that particular practice, that they put that level of, of attention to detail, that it was still on, on some fundamental level a part of their DNA. That, that they you know, sought to be that close to, to their religion. Not necessarily their faith, but still, like I said with the, uh, the Onfeyeme attacks, it was there to fall back on when they got knocked down hard enough. And I, I always admired them about that, because it's, it's not something that we have here in the U.S. on a, on a widespread level. You know, we they have maybe one seventh of our population, one eighth of it, but it's it's a trait to be admired in an, in a somewhat on some level unified people. As for the Christmas conference, this was a wonderful event. Um, my first Christmas I was in the north. My second Christmas I was in the south. We would all get together. We would combine a bunch of zones in Valencia. And so that required us all to travel. And, you know, we saw our zone maybe once a week, uh, or our district once a week, rather, um, sometimes every other week for the zone meeting. But getting to see, you know, half the, the entire mission all at once was just, it was as close as you'd get to like a full-on party with, uh, with the missionaries. So Rothy and I headed into Valencia. We stayed at one of the apartments there that normally housed four elders. And on this night, it was housing 10 elders. We were doing everything we could to uh, accommodate the sleeping arrangements. We'd taken all of the pads or all of the cushions, excuse me, off of the couches. And, you know, guys were lying on the floor on the couch cushions. Somebody else was lying on the bare couch. Uh, we had taken mattress pads off of mattresses and put them together. And even then cramming four guys onto two mattresses so they don't freeze their newtons off on the hardwood or tile floor was just it was an exercise in, in military discipline I, th I think i spent the entire night sleeping on my side trying not to roll over so i didn't bump into elder shiazawa or roll off and hit the carpet so didn't get a whole bunch of, of sleep that night we were, we were you know playing a uh, christmas music and trying to pay some lip service to the rule of getting to bed at 11 um, there was maybe one companionship that got to bed on time. That was Wilson and Draper, because Wilson was uh, a really disciplined, strict guy, and I respected that about him. But, you know, spent the night there, and then the next day we had the, the Christmas conference. Um, we would have a couple of talks from President and the Ayudantes. We would have a big, you know, Christmas lunch. I think we just, you know, did ham and all the, uh, all the trimmings and side dishes, and take pictures and get gifts. We, I gave President that drawing that I'd been working on. And we also did some, some musical numbers. Each zone got to put together a funny number and a, uh, a, a solemn, a serious number. I'm trying to remember what we sang for our serious number. Um, for our joking number, we did Carol of the Bells. We did a bit of a medley. And we had Jones singing the, the bass line on Carol of the Bells. We did a little bit of song and dance into it and stuff. Uh, the clear winners, though, of the, uh, of the funny song, if it was a contest at all, was the Palma Zone. They took the Gaston song from Beauty and the Beast and changed the letters to Watson. 
know, President Watson, and it was full of you know slang and inside jokes. Uh, I say slang, not in like you know the mission inappropriate sense. You know, Spanish slang. It was it was a song done in Spanglish, just perfection. I ended up filming it on my uh, on my digital camera, and that was one of the few things that survived the initial batch of photos that I took. But. Uh, I think I uploaded that to YouTube a couple of years ago now that I think of it. But yeah, they just did an awesome job. Everybody who was there remembers that. Usually at the Christmas conference we also watch a movie. And I can't remember which year it was that we watched The Other Side of Heaven. You know, something something mission appropriate. Um, you know, sometimes it would be a, a Disney movie or something. I But I'm only going off of what I'd heard from you know, elders who had been there in 03 for, or excuse me, 02 for example. So. I was there in 03 and 04. One of those years it was the Tonga movie, and then you know, that was pretty much it. So that was our Christmas. Uh, we went back to Albuquerque that day. A couple of days later, the elders from Alcoy came out, and we had breakfast together. We went and did the uh, the Christmas for the Leguiza Calve family and you know had a, a district meeting, did some intercambios to kind of justify the, the visit. But that was how we celebrated Christmas in our district. And then of course there's also the Christmas phone call that you make home to your family and had a lot on my mind um, you know like I said my little brother had had a, a run-in with the law the previous month and I wasn't sure if I was supposed to say something to him about that in a in a big brother sense um, my mom had emailed me and said you know in the weeks following that incident you know, they were trying to talk to him and find out what was going on in his life that had kind of caused him to to fall in with friends that were running that way. And I guess it came up that things were different with me being gone and with my brother being back, Jordan, you know, home off of his mission. Um, he was just different. Ian felt that he couldn't say things to Jordan without it turning into a... Uh, a religious lecture which you know call it a mission habit obviously it wasn't going to to die easily but he said that he felt that it, you know he could always just go across the hall to uh to our well we shared a bathroom in between our bedrooms and he could just look through the bathroom and holler at me or whatever and you know that dynamic had changed and it that caught me off guard because i never felt that my little brother needed me that he was independent of me in that regard I don't I didn't think that he looked up to me in any sense and maybe I'm phrasing that wrong but it surprised me to hear that, that he missed me in that way um, just because I never got any inkling of it when I was home but mom advised me not to bring it up to him and so we just made small talk I guess and uh, you know chatted with with my mom chatted with my dad and then Jordan wasn't home yet. He had decided to spend Christmas with his newly minted fiance. So I ended up getting a, another phone call on the mission phone. I had gotten, I can't remember if I got permission from president for that one, but I figured it was, you know, part of the family Christmas call. You weren't supposed to, you know, break it up or whatever. But he called me from Canada and I got to talk to my future sister-in-law for the first time. And that was neat. Um, Strangely, what I remember most about that call now was talking to my sister. Uh, as I'm recording this in June of 2020, this last weekend, 
was one year since she died of a brain tumor. She was 29 years old. So at the, at the time that I had called her that year on Christmas, she was only 14. And I tried to think of things to say to my family, you know, before calling, because the, the time was limited. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting in a cyber cafe in Albacete, you know, in a little booth where you can kind of overhear the chatter from uh, everybody else calling home to foreign nations. But I had decided, you know, what was I going to tell my 14-year-old sister? What was she going to care about from her 20-year-old brother overseas that she hadn't seen in over a year? And so I told her a joke. And it was, it was actually a joke that I'd learned from Elder Jones. Um, just a story joke about how Superman tricks this lawyer into jumping to his death or something. <laughs> just a... If you know Jones, it's a it's a signature messed up Jones joke that just makes you laugh but think, oh man, that's messed up. And uh, I, I delivered the punchline and she laughed and, you know, my sister was like my little brother in a lot of senses where, you know, I didn't feel like she needed me. Um, I felt that she was independent of me. She had her circle of friends and her, her life and our lives didn't really overlap. We were six years apart. You know, she wasn't even in high school when I left. Um, but she she laughed, and I distinctly remember feeling like, you know, hey, I, I did something right. I told a joke with my sister, and we chit-chatted, and we're getting along, and she's happy. And... Pardon me while I get up in my feelings about that. Holidays being what they are in Spain, um, <clears throat> our, our work slowed down quite a bit. We did have a baptism. <clears throat> there was another girl named uh, Leticia who got baptized. I think she was nine or ten, maybe. We had been teaching her family, um, you know, mostly, mostly her. We, we had started teaching her mother, but her mother had a evangelical brother or something who had talked her out of taking lessons from the big bad Mormons. But Leticia got baptized. Elder Rothy did the baptism, um, you know, right there on the, the week of Christmas. Uh, other than that, the work was, was really slow. Um, just, you know, Spaniards take their holidays seriously, too. They, you know, everything will shut down. They're better about Sabbath day observance than, than we are here in the States as well. You know, businesses are closed. They take that day off to reboot, even if it's not uh, strictly a spiritual observance. They just, you know, they close down and do that. So uh, on those holiday weeks with Christmas and New Year's and Reyes, which lands on, you know, it's the same day as uh, Epiphany in the Anglican tradition. Um... Our P-Days got moved around to the big holidays, so we'd just kind of hang out at home and, <clears throat> you know, we'd, we'd make one excursion out to the internet cafe to email our families and then catch up on cleaning, put away our $3 Chinese Christmas decorations, and uh, get ready for the new year. It was impossible to serve under President Watson <clears throat> and not gain uh, a habit or a sense of goal setting. And especially with 
with New Year's coming in, setting your own personal nivelles and things you wanted to strive for. Me, you know, I, I had a lot on my mind. I was playing some music in the apartment, you know, walking around. We we kind of we would rearrange the furniture or something as we were tidying things up and packing things away that we weren't going to need. And um, you know, a, a transfer was coming in a couple of weeks. I was reasonably assured that I was going to be leaving because I'd been in Albacete for almost six months. I'd been with Elder Rothy for what would be you know two and a half transfers, and so I I felt pretty confident that. A transfer was coming in for me, uh, just based on the way that it went. But more, I was, I was getting ready to finish training. I wasn't going to be with my Eho anymore, so I was wondering, you know, what does that mean for the next nine months of my service? You know, my my mission was going to end at the end of September. I was entering the year that my mission would wrap up, and you know had had i been learning the right things had i been learning them at the right pace was i turning into the right kind of person um was it time to start thinking about what i was going to do when i got home uh you know all of those things were on my mind as the new year rang in and so i will leave you with this parting thought we had been teaching out of the preach my gospel manual for a couple of months now the the timeline of teaching was much more linear as i've said um, and I would go so far as to say that it's impossible to take the long view of the gospel and not come away with that, or from that, with a sense of of long-term vision for yourself. If you know that mortal life is act two in a three-act play, then... You can also break life itself down into a three-act play. And for me, that act was, the first act was, you know, everything leading up to getting on my mission. And mission was maybe the transitory period in between acts one and act two, where, you know, I needed to set aside being Graham Bradley and really lean into being Elder Bradley. And I was more and more accepting of that title and that role all the time. I had been out on my mission for 15 months, but that didn't mean that I knew everything. And I was, I was grateful to keep learning and to keep improving. Every year since then, I have sat down at New Year's and, and set new goals for myself. And I don't always hit them, but I do always make progress. Sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small ways, but as I would soon learn from Elder Jones, who was fond of his own set of dichos and quotes, nothing is static. And for me as a truck driver now, that's either you're either climbing uphill or you're rolling downhill. Even the act of trying to stand still burns calories. Forces are working against you. And you will either push through it and get stronger and keep moving uphill, or those forces will push you downhill. The difference maker is your own self-awareness, your own willingness to pay attention to yourself and your condition, to honestly self-evaluate and know whether you are getting closer to what God wants you to be. For me, that's what New Year's means especially coming on the heels of Christmas when deity 
fulfilled a promise to send us a Savior. He kept his promise to send us a Savior. We got that Savior. The Savior kept his promise to do the work of saving us. Now, will I fulfill the obligation that comes with that to make myself better? Christ makes up the difference. Christ makes all the difference. But President Nelson said in the April 2020 conference, the Lord loves effort. Our effort matters, our choices matter, and we should always be working on improving ourselves. So take that with you into this next week, brothers and sisters. And as always, keep the faith.